You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on today's top stories with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Spotlight the Buccaneers with Tom Krasnicki of WDA Radio in Tampa and provide your playing with science checkdown. But first, let's kick off the podcast with Peter King of the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, always a pleasure. You've been covering this league for decades, was watching that incredible game between Houston and Seattle, a reminder of why we all love football so much. I I, uh, I mean, I just was speechless about ten times down the stretch of that game. I mean, you know what is so interesting? You look at a game like this, and and if you do it strictly from a statistical point of view, how about Houston and Seattle, 14-14 in the first quarter? Houston and Seattle, 7-7 in the second quarter. Houston and Seattle, 14-14 in the fourth quarter. One measly field goal in the third quarter is what made the difference in 41-38. And to me, if you had told me that after everything the Houston Texans had been through, that they would have gone to Seattle, the team that over the last five years, far and away the best and most consistent defense in football over the last half decade, year after year after year, they get it done. Deshaun Watson, you know, in his seventh NFL start, sixth NFL start, by the way, in his sixth NFL start, he throws for 402 yards, four touchdowns, and over 50 rushing yards. He's the first quarterback in the history of the NFL to do that. Four passing touchdowns, over 400 yards, and over 50 yards rushing. I mean, this kid is is beyond for real. He is an exhilarating presence to watch on the field. Let's talk about the controversy that was heading into this game, the remarks made by Texans owner Bob McNair. Do you think the clarification from Bob McNair indicating that his inmate's comment was directed at league officials, the folks at 345 Park Avenue, not his players, is significant? I think it's significant, but I don't think that most of his players, and I haven't talked to him because the players have been off limits since then. I don't believe that the players are going to buy it. Whatever it is they say publicly, that sounds a little bit too convenient to me. Uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm just simply saying that you ask me if I think that the players are going to believe it, and in my opinion, I think most of them are not going to believe it. And I don't know that, but it just sounds a little bit too convenient to me. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Peter King, MMQB. Peter joins us every Tuesday, and this week, Peter, you had strong thoughts about Martavis Bryant. Clearly, he wants out, even though the Steelers say they're not going to trade him and he's going to be deactivated tonight for the Sunday night matchup at Detroit. Do you think there's any chance he could be dealt prior to Tuesday's deadline? I think it's highly unlikely because the Pittsburgh Steelers look at Martavis Bryant. I almost think that they would rather release him after the season than trade him now and give him his wish for a very simple reason. This team has stood behind Martavis Bryant in his darkest hours. And, you know, for him starting in about week three this year to start voicing his displeasure, his displeasure 
quietly at first and then loudly later on is just absolutely absurd. You know, this is a team that uh, that that supported him, uh, and he uh, bit back. And I just think that the Steelers have it within their rights to bury him the rest of the year. And again, look, will that help him win? No. I think they're going to give him another chance to come back uh, and to play well. And people are saying, well, geez, that's kind of a cruel thing for them to do. Just look at the history of this. This is a guy, multiple suspensions for substance abuse. And this team, even when he was out for a year, stood behind him and said when he comes back, he's going to be a member of our team. And so I just uh, I'm a little bit down on Martavis Bryan, as I think anybody who has played in team sports would be. Peter, it feels like typically as we get closer to the deadline coming up on Tuesday, a lot of rumor and innuendo, then very little happens. With that in mind, what name should we be mindful of that potentially could be on the move? I think Indianapolis cornerback Vontae Davis. Uh, you know, I was told today by one general manager who definitely is in the market for a cornerback, uh, he said they have been trying to trade him uh, for weeks, uh, the Indianapolis Colts have, because they feel that corner is such a need position around the league that they'd be able to get a second-round pick for him. So that's one. Anthony Costanzo, the left tackle there, I think they would be willing to trade Costanzo, especially after losing this game in Cincinnati today. With the Colts now being 2-6, and six, uh, they don't have much of a prayer. Uh, they, they'd almost have to run the table. They're not going 10-0, and 0, or I'm sorry, 8-0 down the stretch. So I think Costanzo and, and, uh, and Davis and Indianapolis, I think two tackles that have engendered a lot of interest around the league, Joe Staley uh, in San Francisco uh, and Cordy Glenn in Buffalo. I think both of those guys have such high price tags put on them by their respective front offices with the 49ers and Bills, I do not expect them to be traded because I don't think there are teams out there willing to give a one uh, or and maybe even a little bit more uh, for, for each of those guys. And then finally, uh, Ian Rappaport r- uh, reported today uh, that uh, Jimmy Graham might be might be dealt. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Graham who had the, the winning touchdown pass in one of the most scintillating games in years in the NFL – uh, but I would not be surprised if if uh, the Seattle Seahawks could get a usable tackle for the rest of this year to try to make a run. There's no premier team in the NFC that Seattle doesn't think it can beat. Philadelphia is the best team. But after that, who's better than Seattle? I don't think anybody. Finally, history tells us losing in London when you're a coach in jeopardy is not necessarily the best thing for job security. What's the outlook for Hugh Jackson heading into the bye? I keep going back to a meeting I had with Jimmy Haslam and his wife, Dee, uh, the co-owners of the Cleveland Browns, uh, late in training camp. And uh, he was adamant that he wasn't going to make wholesale changes in his front office or coaching staff this year because, and everybody said, well, why not? They're one in, Hugh Jackson's 1-23. What do you have to do to get fired around here? Because every time... The Browns have made a wholesale change like that, either cleaned out the front office or cleaned out the coaching staff. It has kept them on the road to misery. So I think they want to take their medicine, and I think they want to give it everything they can uh, you know, to, to try to keep it going one more offseason with most, if not all, of the characters in place 
led by general manager Sashi Brown and head coach Hugh Jackson. That's that's my gut feeling right now, Brian. But obviously, if you go 0-16, uh, I mean, clearly all bets are off. But still, I don't care if you go 0-16. I don't think you help your franchise by starting from ground zero again. Peter, always a pleasure. You sound great, by the way, with that home studio. So I'm It glad really you... is great. Yeah, Isn't thanks a lot. I, I hear you well, too. Thanks, Brian. The technology matching the insights. We'll chat with you Tuesday on NFL No Huddle. Great. Thanks. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The passion. 25, 15-10, 5-3-2-1. The fury. Inhaled in the backfield. Sack for the Huskies. The speed. Here's a home run ball. He's out there. He catches it. The best in college football from coast to coast. Touchdown, Notre Dame. 13-0 Buckeye. To the goal line. Touchdown, Texas. Ball's on the carpet. Georgia says we have it. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. This is the Nissan College Football Blitz. Listen on Saturdays this fall on College Sports Now on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's cover today's top stories with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Now it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, always a pleasure. Brian Weber with you. Let's start with a big picture thought. What can you tell us about a meeting scheduled for tomorrow in Philadelphia by a group calling itself the Players Coalition? Well, I can tell you that it is now not scheduled. It was going to be, and I know the players made a big show of reaching out to Texans owner Bob McNair and, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and a couple other key people, including Colin Kaepernick. But, um, you know, it sounds like it was really just too soon, too tough scheduling to organize a big meeting. The idea was good. Being inclusive was good. Uh, and I know both sides want to continue the conversation you know, really to the fullest, especially what's gone on the last couple of days with the Texans owner. But logistically, it's too tough. So they're going to kind of regroup a little bit and resume talks maybe after the each side catches their breath in a week or two. You alluded to Texan owner Bob McNair. Do you think, based on conversations you're having with players and other folks around the league, that his indication, his inmates' observation was directed at league officials, not players, will have any resonance? You know, it's tough to know because I didn't hear it. I know that the phrase is not exactly what he said, right? Like you would usually say inmates running the asylum. You know, actually, honestly, my first thought was that he bungled the phrase, that he just got it wrong. And then he said he was referring to the league office, which is plausible, um, you know, because it would be tough for me to imagine someone who is around players so much. And the Texans locker room is a really good one. They care about the community a lot. They have a lot of good people, forget about players, uh, good people in the Texans organization. So that sort of surprised me that he would refer to players as inmates. So my guess is he sort of just bungled the phrase, but obviously the reaction by the players was a strong one. A lot of Texans players kneeled today before the game. And, um, you know, there's certainly, and he, you know, he apologized to the team and I was told it didn't go over well. Um, so that, that could have a lasting effect there. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, Packers have a bye, but what's the initial reaction, Ben, to Martellus Bennett posting on Instagram last night? This is likely to be his last season. Interestingly, no one is really surprised because if there's one thing about the Bennett brothers in general, uh, and Martellus specifically, 
he has a lot going on. He is not just a football player. He's a very good football player, but he is not just that. You know, he's a he's an author of children's books. Uh, he's extremely smart. He's interested in other things besides just on the field. So, you know, he's made a lot of money. Uh, he's made a lot of plays. Uh, he has won a Super Bowl. So I haven't talked to anyone that is stunned. It's more like, okay, he played football for a long time. It's okay that he's going to go do something else because he's probably going to be good at that too. You're always very helpful when it comes to injury updates. So what can you tell us about Zach Miller of the Bears and Chris Hogan of the Patriots? Uh, well, Zach Miller, it's not good. I mean, he has a dislocated knee, uh, and it certainly seemed like he had a break as well in the leg. I mean, that's just a horrific injury. And, you know, Zach Miller is not a household name. Uh, he is not, you know, the first in the highlight reel, but he is a very, very good player. Um, and it is just, that is just too bad. And, you know, obviously going to be out for the season there. Um, you know, so obviously that that was a big one today. Chris Hogan. You know, he left the locker room in a sling. The sense I got was that it was not too serious, but I know he's going to have an MRI. He's going to have tests. It certainly seems like something that's not going to be a catastrophic injury for the Patriots. Finally, with the trade deadline looming on Tuesday, what name should we keep in mind? You had an intriguing report about Jimmy Graham today. Yeah, a couple big ones. Um, Eric Ebron from the Detroit Lions. Keep an eye on that one. Um, I know teams have been calling, and they certainly seem like they'd be willing to move him for the right price. Uh, The uh, Seahawks are still searching for a left tackle. Dwayne Brown is in the building today uh, facing them. Uh, You know, uh, that is certainly something where they could make a trade, and and the Seahawks would need to shed cap space. Trading Jimmy Graham is something that was described to me as a possibility. I know his name was mentioned in talks over the last couple weeks. You know, they came out and said today that they don't think they're trading him, but we have two days to go, and, and we will see. Finally, we know Martavis Bryant spent the week on the scout team, will be deactivated tonight, Sunday Night Football in Detroit. Steelers saying publicly he will not be dealt. Any chance he could be on the move before Tuesday? Teams are trying. Teams are calling them and trying to trade for him. From the sense I got, the Steelers have not bitten yet. You know, it is a business dictated by price. So if somebody wants them enough, then, you know, even though they don't want to set the precedent and allow a player to force his way out, uh, teams could make it interesting and force them to consider it. Ian, great information as always. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you on Wednesday on NFL No Huddle. Look forward to it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. One, two, three. Let's go. Playlists and hit songs picked out for you by your favorite social influencers right here on Herdwell Radio. Hit music. Let's go. From lit jams to sleepy time songs, we'll play the best music that you need to know. Check out our specially curated playlists like the hashtag What's Trending Hour or our Chart Toppers Mix. Keep the party going with our weekend brunch mixes or our nightly hype mix. No matter what time of day, Herdwell Radio's got you covered. You bring the party, we got the music. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on the Buccaneers with Tom Krasnicki of WDAE Radio in Tampa. Tom, coming into this game, Bucks had only seven sacks. Worst tally in all of football. They did not get to Cam Newton at all today. What's wrong with this defense? Brian, good to be with you. Look, I think the Buccaneers kind of overrated some of the talent they have around Gerald McCoy, 
Opposing teams come in thinking 93 is not going to beat us. We will double-team him. We'll single block everybody else. And so far, their pass rush has been completely neutralized. As you mentioned, seven sacks now in seven games. Just to put in perspective, Julius Peppers had a sack strip a sack of Jameis Winston today, and at the age of 37, he has more sacks than the entire Buccaneer team. It's a huge problem. We know that Jameis Winston has been dealing with the shoulder injury, the stats, pedestrian, 210 passing yards, no touchdowns, a pair of picks. How did he look to you watching the game? He was off, Brian. I don't think there's any question about that. I think some of it is the shoulder. He's way less than 100%, and he's not going to, going to admit that. It was also a very windy day here today in Tampa Bay, so that affected it, but no excuses. Three turnovers. Some of his passes were off the mark. There was a play to Mike Evans, a long pass down the right sideline. That should have been a touchdown. He overshot him by a stride and a half. He did not play his best football today. Tom, was I being too harsh when I labeled the Buccaneers as one of the biggest disappointments in all of football? Do we all get caught up in the hype of hard knocks and what this team did down the stretch last year? Brian, I think you're on point. I'm right there with you. I had the Buccaneers as a 10-win team going to the playoffs. I thought Jameis would take that next step in year number three. Now he's banged up. The defense has been terrible. With Mike Smith calling the plays, he's certainly come under fire. The secondary was a bit better today, but prior to today, they couldn't cover anybody, and the pass rush has been non-existent. The trenches have been very poor for the Bucs. Their offensive line not getting a push. They had some big penalties today. No pass rush. They can't run the ball. This team has problems all across the board, so absolutely, they're one of the biggest disappointments in my mind, too. Focusing on the Buccaneers with Tom Krasnicki from WDAE Radio in Tampa. So, Tom, if we're looking at next week's schedule, another divisional game on the road at New Orleans. Saints, one of the hottest teams in the NFL. They've won five consecutive games. This Tampa Bay team has major defensive issues. You know they've underachieved on the road. How ugly could it get next week? It could get pretty ugly considering the Saints have done a great job of playing complimentary football after their 0-2 start. As you mentioned, they've won five in a row. Drew Brees is very tough to beat inside of his own stadium. The Bucks have had some problems up there in recent years. They've had a win here and there, but the way they're playing right now, how can you be confident that they can go on the road and beat anybody, much less you know a team of a playoff caliber like the New Orleans Saints? So I think this is going to be a long year, Brian. I think you know, we're looking at potentially a 6-10 and 10 type of team and the way they're playing football right now, 6-10 and 10 might be a little generous. And when we talk about coaches on the hot seat, obviously we're not rooting for anybody to lose their job. You know how it works in our business. People get fired every 10 minutes. But when Lovey Smith was pushed out at Tampa Bay, that was certainly, at least from a national point of view, unexpected to a degree. If this season continues to be a disappointment, what's the outlook for Dirk Cutter moving forward? I think, Brian, it all depends on how they finish. But honestly, I don't see the Buccaneers pulling the trigger. I would be surprised, although you never know with the Glazers. You know, they've been firing coaches every two years, and that's been a pretty consistent strategy from an ownership standpoint. But honestly, that's not how you build continuity with your football team. So I think Dirk will be fine. Again, if they don't win another game and they finish 2-14, and then I think, yeah, he's going to be in serious trouble. But I think he's going to get another year to kind of prove himself. But right now, the early returns are not favorable. When you take calls, and obviously we love to hear from fans because they keep us employed, what's the biggest theme? What are people angriest about when you hit the phone lines on your local show? The team's not prepared. Coaching staff's doing a bad job. We got a lot of calls on our postgame show about Jameis Winston. He's not a franchise quarterback. He turns the football over way too many times. So 
The fans are not happy with the coaching staff. They're not happy with the quarterback. They're not happy with the defensive line. You know how it goes, Brian. The sky is falling when you're a two and five team and you are expected to go to the playoffs. So across the board, the fans are not happy, but specifically get a lot of calls about the team not being prepared and about the quarterback. Tom, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us on the NFL on TuneIn. My pleasure, Brian. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Country Roads, your all-access pass to everything Nashville. Just a lot better music selection. Marin Morris. Kenny Chesney. Florida Georgia Line. Sam Hunt. Hey, we're all Dominion. We're all we written in the sand. Plus news and interviews with your favorite country stars. Thomas Rhett. You're not giving more than you can handle, and so every day just kind of has its own challenges. I'm Kelly Sutton bringing you the hottest new country songs on Country Roads. I'm Luke Bryan cruising the country roads with you on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's bring you the intersection of sports and science with a special edition of the Playing With Science Checkdown. It's time for the Playing With Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. Always a pleasure to be joined by Chuck Knight. And this week, it's a special honor to say hello to Neil deGrasse Tyson, the noted scientist and author. Fellas, thanks for taking the time. Chuck, take it away. Hey, Brian and Nick, how are you guys? And thanks again for helping us out and getting the word out about Playing With Science, where jocks and geeks collide, and the geeks actually walk away unscathed. And... uh, This week, I have with me on the line the MVP of the Cosmos himself to help us tease out some scientific goodness from a play, and I'm talking none other than Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil, how are you, buddy? Hey, everybody. Doing fine. Doing well. Ready to to check check it out. All right. So, uh, Brian, I know you have a play selected for us, so take it away. Okay, let me lean over as I get set to hit play on this. A reminder, you can catch every new episode of Playing With Science and the entire Star Talk lineup a week early, only on TuneIn. Let's take you back to the game earlier today in New England between the Chargers and the Patriots. Melvin Gordon of the Chargers was dealing with a foot injury, but he had a robust touchdown run. Guys, take us through the play. If that's turf toe, I want turf toe. But, Neil, I know you can, you can bring science out anything, so I'll let you do your thing, man. <laughs> I, I think turf toe only hurts again if you stop suddenly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're running and no one catches you, the turf toe is not having anything to say about anything. Uh, what, what the announcer was not able to call, because there's so much happening on that play, is that the Patriots cornerback, Malcolm Butler, number 21, uh, by the way, he and Melvin Gordon are about the same size, you know, six feet, around that, a couple hundred pounds. So Malcolm Butler actually chases him down the field and catches him, okay, at the, fi- the five-yard line, catches him. And realizing that they're both going fast at their own top speeds, there's not much a tackle will do because you'll just tackle him into the end zone. He's going to get to play anyway. Uh, the reverse angle shot on that revealed that – uh, Malcolm Butler tried to actually knock the ball out of his hands, which then it would be a fumble, and then it would not have been a touchdown. But I, I ran some numbers on their speeds. So Malcolm Gordon, for the L.A. Chargers, he was running 1.1 seconds per 10 yards. Okay? So that, cool. that's, about, uh, that's 11 seconds on a 100-yard run. That's about 18.5 miles per hour. Malcolm cool. Butler caught this guy. Okay? He closed, out, he closed down a five-yard gap across 30 yards in 3.3 seconds. 
So you run the numbers, he's going about three miles per hour faster than him at about 21.6 miles per hour. So the reason I'm going through this is that Malcolm Butler, over 100 yards, if he had kept that pace, he would have set the world record for the 100-yard dash in 1929. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) He wanted that ball harder than than Melvin Gordon needed the touchdown, it seemed. Um, But it was just great to see everything in motion, but one person moving while everyone else was in motion. And we're reminded that if if you're going to run for the goal line and no one is in front of you, then run straight. Do not run on an angle. Run straight. It's obviously your shortest distance. Now, if you're going to try to come at someone at an angle, then you have to not only be running downfield as quickly as that person is, you also have to be covering diagonal distance. This is like the hypotenuse of a right triangle. So, so if you're coming at someone from an angle, you not only have to be as fast as they are, you have to be faster than they are to, to span that distance. And Melvin Gordon knew that once he had open, open view for the goal line, you just took it straight down the field. And in fact, the only person that could catch him was Malcolm Butler, who was running exactly behind him. So wow. anyone who has a chance to catch that on a, on a replay, just, just watch that. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, how to overtake someone who's running down the field. And another way to think about this, if Melvin Gordon and Malcolm Butler were to race 100 yards, yeah. Malcolm Butler could give Melvin Gordon a 15-yard head start. You start the, 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 the watch, and then he will catch up with him by the end of the 100 yards. Wow. And, by the, and, and what's interesting to me is Malcolm Butler, is not, he's, he's on the defense, not even on the offense. And you're reminded you want fast people on both sides of the ball, obviously. But I kind of wondered, that must mean they must have faster people on the offense who can carry the ball. And I haven't had the occasion to measure their speeds, but I was just very impressed with the fact that Malcolm Butler caught him but didn't, quite catch, didn't, didn't actually catch him. That's, that's super cool, man, and, and I, love the, I love the fact that uh, that's why we see guys run the sideline. Now, now it makes sense. The reason why you see guys run the sideline like that is because you want to run a straight line, so that's fantastic. And, and, and notice also that if you're right on the sideline, people can only come to you from one direction. From, not right. From, they can only come to you from one side, not from another side. So, yeah, so that's why I, I bet you'll see more touchdowns as people hug in the line rather than just straight up the center of the field. I bet if you did the statistics on that, that's probably what you would find. All right. Well, that's how we do it on Playing With Science. And uh, Brian and Nick, thank you guys so much for having us on and allowing us to add a little science to this exciting day of football, man. Always a pleasure. Before we say goodbye, and as much as we enjoy Chuck, and Chuck, you are nice, as your last name suggests. (laughs) Neil, huge fan of your work. And my broadcast partner, Nick Ferguson, is off today as his wife is expecting the birth of their next child. But Nick played at Georgia Tech. I won the lottery, somehow got into Stanford off the wait list. So we believe in brain power on this show. How do we get kids more interested in science before they eat all that candy coming up on Halloween on Tuesday? <laughs> well, what we try to do, not only in Star Talk, uh, you know, the flagship, but also obviously on Playing with Science, is just to show that science is everywhere. If people can have passions in this world, and we're not going to try to re-guide what those passions happen to be, but when you learn that those passions are informed by science, we're touched by science, then science becomes a natural part of how you think about the world. And science li- then you get the science literacy for free. And then you don't have people wandering through life saying, oh, I never did well in science, so therefore I will never think about it again. I'll only think about my little stovepiped uh, subject. And it could be science, it could be acting, it could be... Uh, look at all the ways technology and science has, have touched the arts. 
for example. Modern movies would not be possible without uh, advances in cinematic technologies. So even the purest of the arts have been touched by science, and that's, that's all we're trying to do on these programs. Gentlemen, wow. we appreciate the insights, and that was the convergence of sports and science on the NFL on TuneIn. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. Make sure to check out the Playing With Science podcast with new episodes premiering one week early, all free, only on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Let's recap the action from this busy Sunday across the league with my NFL No Huddle co-host, Cordell Stewart. Partner, I imagine we'll be talking a lot about this game in Seattle. It was simply incredible. Holy catfish is what they say. Holy catfish. I tell you what, two of the leagues, our leagues, uh, mobile quarterbacks that put on a display, throwing over 400 yards, both these guys. Uh, I mean, a tremendous a dis- tremendous display of, of quarterbacking by those two men, uh, obviously showing that both de- both defenses uh, have a few glitches in the system in a sense of stopping the pass and having a quarterback that can move around in the pocket that can basically give each side or those defenses a little bit of havoc. But, I mean, a young kid, I mean, you have two. Two quarterbacks, one that's going to two Super Bowls, the other one who's a young kid who's making a great name for himself in the National Football League. I think so far this year he's passed uh, Kurt Warner uh, with, what, 19 or maybe even 20 touchdowns in this game, I mean, in a season at this point in time, which is pretty darn tremendous to say for a young kid uh, who actually ended up coming off of the bench to play for Tom Savage and being touted to being a a potential, let's just say, a question mark of me able to make it in a game because of all the interceptions he threw but he's showing his true skill and his true talent, and, and this team is following him. And I, and I tell you what, if it's not for that kid, Deshaun Watson, being a starting quarterback on this football team, this team wouldn't have a, a, a chance or an opportunity to be in a lot of these games, let alone have the type of performance on the offensive side of the football that we hadn't seen since Bill O'Brien has been the head coach there for the Houston Texans. Cordell, in addition to all the fallout from this wild NFL Sunday tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the trade deadline coming up on Tuesday. Earlier, I was joined by Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, who broke the story this morning. Jimmy Graham is available, Cordell. If Seattle gets the right offer, namely an offensive lineman, Jimmy Graham could be on the move before Tuesday. Well, I tell you what, Jimmy Graham had a pretty darn good performance today, uh, being able to put up a few touchdowns, something that they've been needing from him for some time, and and I think the level of inconsistency, whether it be how they used him or maybe how he would catch the football, because he dropped a few last week, had another drop or another tight end this week. Uh, it's something, I think, based on the monies that in, that's invested in him, along with what they need from him, moving forward to another team would not hurt. Because I've always said this, we're talking to one of their stations in Seattle I mentioned, why aren't they getting the ball to him at the highest point and allowing him to use his body similar to what we see Rob Gronkowski do do with the New England Patriots, which is put that big body in front of someone, let him go up and catch the football and and, and do what he's capable of doing, which is be the basketball player 
that we once had an opportunity to understand about him with playing with the Miami Hurricanes uh, down, down, what they call it, the U down in Miami. But seemed like for some reason they had been able to connect very well. So to make this move and transition to potentially move forward, if there is a good offer out there to allow Jimmy Graham to move forward, I tell you what, he probably will be happy, and hopefully the Seattle Seahawks can get what they need to move forward with this offense. But great performance today by this football team in the Seattle Seahawks, forcing the young kid to throw a couple turnovers to the same guy, Richard Sherman, a couple times. And, hey, the better team end up winning, but great performance by the Houston Texans. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. We're going round the league. This is NFL First and Gold. Join us tomorrow, NFL No Huddle Week kickoff at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Partner, let's go back to Friday. We devoted a lot of that program to the inflammatory remark made by Texans owner Bob McNair. Mr. McNair apologized with a written statement, apologized in front of his entire team. And now he's come out and said his inmates comment was directed at league officials, not players. Does that change your view of that statement? Well, I mean, but see, that's what happens when you just say things loosely. You know, it's now all of a sudden it sounds as if it's being misconstrued where it was directed towards. But initially it sounded like it was towards the players. I think we, we not think, but we talked about it on our show. Uh, and there was conversations about the guys taking the Texans what logo off of a decal off of the helmets to kneeling and protesting for the national anthem. And the whole entire team pretty much maybe a, other than maybe three or four players who didn't kneel for the national anthem. But that's where it goes. To go. that's, that's what I was talking about on our show which is you have to be just careful what you say. So now it's was geared towards the referees. How's that going to work for the football team? So you, you, you just, it's just a murky situation. It's just messy across the board. Nothing good is going to come from it. Uh, and, and he's apologized a multitude of times. Now he's indirecting saying he's re, he's redirecting the energy towards the referees. Just don't say it. Just be mindful of what you say, what you're trying to convey and, and, and just, allow some things to be what they are and, and, and stay with the, between the lines when, when having an opportunity to say something. So, you know, now all of a sudden it's towards the referees. Well, and let me again, just clarify, league officials mean the folks at the league office. He was even talking them, about even, true. people at 345 Park Avenue making decisions instead of the owners. And I think you're right. And we'll talk about this tomorrow. Obviously, words have meaning. Yes. I can understand the response from the Texans players. And now it's going to be an emotional locker room after a gut-wrenching loss on the road in Seattle. Let's go from the heights of that game in Seattle to the depths of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cordell. They only have seven sacks all season. They did not sack Cam Newton at all. What's wrong with this Tampa Bay defense? Well, the defense is just, for some reason, is just not able to make any plays. I mean, it wasn't the greatest game in the world, but it was one uh, that if you're slipping, and I mean, Jameis Winston was getting beat down pretty well. I mean, they were they were attacking him all over the place, but Whenever you allow, I mean, think about this. There was a total of 100 yards between five guys that ran the football with this Carolina Panthers team. From a receiving standpoint, the most yards was given to Christian McCaffrey. That was five catches for 49 yards. Other than that, it's like, how do you lose or win this football game? Or when you're not able to make the stops you need to make, when you're not capable of getting the ball in the end zone the way you should, when the quarterback is getting hit as many times as he did, I mean – Sometimes these ugly wins are really good for your football team when, when playing in a division um, that we know it could go either way. Uh, when, when you really break it down in a nutshell, Tampa Bay is just struggling across the board. It's not just their defense. It's also their offense. It's also their special teams. It's also the play of individual players. 
like guys who they had high expectations on in Jameis Winston. Defensively as a group, you can't point out one player, but you could talk about the entire group because that's how you really dial in on how to deal with uh, the defensive side of the football. So for me, I, I think in the end, it just boils down to when will this team make some plays um, to try to put themselves in position to compete? Because right now, sitting there at two and five, uh, two and two at home, this, this is really ugly so far for this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team because I knew I for sure had them in the position to win this division, and they're not. I did too, pal, but I stole it from you. <laughs> you said it first, and I said that sounds good to me. And looking ahead, it's Tampa Bay on the road at New Orleans. Yeah. Now, you've had your Who's doubts about good? the Saints. We're taking it week by week, but now yeah. make it five consecutive victories. Got it done with a couple rushing touchdowns in the win over Chicago. How much you buying the Saints at 5-2? and two? I tell you what, the Saints defense has really stepped it up immensely. I mean, they're forcing turnovers. Uh, they're making big stops when needing to. Uh, they're breaking up passes, stopping runs. I mean, everything they're needing to do, this defense is able to do it. And that's the biggest piece because the offense has been productive all the time. I mean, what's the, what's the main uh, source of energy, let alone production on this football team? It's the offensive side of the football. I think what, Drew Brees? What has he got for 6,000? What he has, 6,000 completion, something to that extent? I mean, that, that's pretty darn tremendous for a, a quarterback that's been able to play in a game that long, uh, let alone uh, be able to guide a football team that didn't necessarily have a good defense for many years, a multitude of changes on the offensive side. Five straight wins in a row. Again, as I said, this is the division that can truly go any way when you really add it up in the end. And so with all that being said, um, the Saints look like they're the team to beat because of how they played five straight weeks going all the way back to the Green Bay game uh, when that team really looked good that night against Hundley. Uh, but, hey, the momentum, the energy, uh, the success is really showing its face. Now once it's time for the Saints to actually get into the matrix of their schedule when it comes down to getting it done, uh, can they get Mr. Benson to do some of the, the walking and talking and dancing with the umbrella open uh, when it comes down to, to playing other teams? Like now they have Tampa, Buffalo, who had a good game today. Uh, the defense, the leading defense in the National Football League when it comes down to getting turnovers one way or another. Shady McCoy ran over 100 yards. Then you have Washington, who we know right now playing in this game has struggled. Interception, tip ball in the air. Uh, by Kirk Cousins, ran back with the doubt by the Dallas Cowboys. Look like they're going to seal the deal in the next 21 seconds. Ends up winning this game 33-19 to once we know for sure what the end result is. Then they have the Rams, Carolina. So right now, the New Orleans Saints are really putting themselves in position to do something really, really good uh, within that division that I think is really weak right now because Atlanta, they're not doing anything that causes me to become nervous, scared, or even wondering if they're good enough to win that division. Taking you around the league with my main man, Cordell Stewart. Join us tomorrow at NFL No Huddle. We kick off 4 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn. Cordell, nice job of doing my job. Real-time update there because you were watching <laughs> what was going on in the rain in D.C. Kirk Cousins on a batted ball. Has the INT taken back the other way. It's a pick six. Dallas on their way to the 33-19 to win on the road. Dallas will go to 4-3. and three. Washington will fall to 3-4. and four. This week we'll be talking about the legal ramifications of the latest appeal in the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. If at some point Elliott has to sit the six games, how much confidence do you have in Dallas holding things together without him? Well, I tell you what, today Dallas really did do a good job of 
of moving a football up and down the field, that when it's having opportunities to score or when they scored, the thing that caused them to not get those points on the board was penalties by the offensive line, where they've been holding, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, they found ways to shoot themselves figuratively in the foot to, to slow down their opportunities to get more touchdowns because they easily can have anywhere from 35-plus points in this game because of touchdowns that were scored. Ezekiel Elliott, I thought, had a tremendous game today uh, when being able to put up over 100 yards. Finally for him, finally for him, on the level, I think, what is three consecutive games where he's been able to put up 300 yards or more. Uh, I think tremendous game by even Dak Prescott. I think he, what they're asking him to do and how he's actually playing the game right now, I, I, I think it's, it's about as good as you can get it for your quarterback considering – uh, he's in his sophomore year. Uh, they now move up to four and three. And uh, now the next team that they're going to have to play that's making noise um, is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Redskins in the first quarter to first half really was bringing the heat with stopping the run, with being able to, to be a problem in the backfield, to allowing clean throws to be made. And then for some reason, as they move forward into the second half, that pressure from the defense that we know that's been pretty tenacious over the last few weeks going all the way back to Kansas City, uh, I think end up getting the same end result in the end because they can't finish, which is look like they ran out of gas. So for me, with the Dallas Cowboys playing the way they're playing, giving up too much on the defensive side for sure. Too many first downs being given up when in second and long and third and long situations. But overall, if they can sustain this type of play, getting points on the board by the offense, rushing the football, being able to stay patient, uh, it's going to be a great match when we see Philadelphia play against this Dallas Cowboys football team. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber taking you around the league on the NFL on TuneIn. In less than three minutes, we check in with our NFL insider, Peter King, MMQB. It's a final Landover, Maryland, in the driving rainstorm. Can't dampen the enthusiasm of Jason Garrett and the Cowboys. They win it 33-19. to Cordell, final thought from you. Would you like to take a victory lap all the way from London? Your guy, Case Keenum, forget about the <laughs> INT. Two more touchdown passes, Minnesota now 6-2. and two. How about it, huh? Uh, I mean, it's, it's to me, again, they're not dealing with the issues they had last year. North Turner leaving after the fifth game to Coach Zimmer and his issues having to go to the hospital to get his eye repaired, to injuries up front on the offensive line, to losing their running back in Adrian Peterson. I mean, those types of issues is a wall that that's truly hard to climb and overcome because it steadily started mounting higher and higher, and you end up seeing the end result where the quarterback still played good in Sam Bradford, but overall the team struggled going up and down with the ebbs and flows of how they played. Right now, Case Keenum within the system is playing some really, really good football, getting a lot of help from the running game with Murray and McKinnon. The receiving core steadily doing what they've been doing. Uh, Thielen lead the charge with 98 yards. Uh, Diggs had four catches for 27, still participating in this last game, found a way to get McKinnon involved with throwing the football. So I think when you look at what this team has been able to do in Minnesota, it's not just one way to get it done. It's a multitude of ways of getting it done. And when you have that type of performance from your team and your quarterback, yes, he did throw an interception. was a tight game. Now, let's not act as if they just ran. They, just, they had this game you know, in their back pockets. It was at a, one point in time, I think the score was like 17-16 at some point in time, or 16-13, something to that extent. And all of a sudden, Minnesota ended up taking over 
because of the lack of consistency uh, by that team. I mean, not being able to get a touchdown from Deshaun Kaiser, I think really impede this team's opportunity to do anything overall. But it's the since it's the since excuse me, it's the Cleveland Browns, and you have to assume um, that at some point in time there's going to be a change at the head coaching position because this is this is becoming pretty bad uh, for this football team. But yes, Case Keenum, my man, Case Keenum. The guy who got his jersey retired out there with the Houston Cougars down in Dallas, down in Texas. He's playing some really good football right now. So you have to give him a at least a high five for this week because they have to get prepared uh, moving forward to next week to continue this trend of really, really good football. Who do they have next? They have, they have, a have the bye, Washington Cordell. Redskins. I like your chances when you play that good old team that's BYE. Six and two is the record <laughs> in Minnesota. All right, partner. Great information as always. Get plenty of rest because I've been a solo host today. Seven hours oh, of bellowing. Might be you, all you tomorrow. I might put oh. my feet up and enjoy three hours of Cordell. I was wondering where the mixing was. I didn't hear any any lyrics in the background. <laughs> I didn't hear the voice of the, the Barry White 2.0 in the background. I could where is he? What's the deal? Uh, is it is it that the family? Is it the family? Still up, baby. baby. Watch, 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 watch. Yeah, that's nice. Good job. I, I hope it comes this weekend for him because I know he's anticipating that. But hey, man, you're a soldier. You can handle it. Good job. But guess what? Tomorrow we got to do it again. And we'll do it again tomorrow. Thank you, buddy. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.